1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. My, ch my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's go over back to Acts chapter 4. Starting at verse 32. All the believers were in heart, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Jesus said, Ananias, 
How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before you, it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. I saw it happen. I, I saw it with my own two eyes. God have mercy on us. We, we just finished burying him. I helped wrap him up and carry him out. I've never seen anything like that. I, I think he was dead before he hit the ground. His eyes went wide and then he collapsed as if his life had been plucked out of him like a weed out of the garden. We're terrified. You know that, right? Oh, God, what just happened? And his wife, who's going to tell Sapphira? But hold on, you don't even know my name. My name is Levi. I'm a craftsman. I work with stone, um, a stonemason. You know, these, these roads, they don't build themselves, and I'm part of this group of Christ followers. I have been for two months. It's crazy. It, time, it, it's going so fast. I, I discovered the good news about Jesus and this group of people that have fire shooting out of their heads. Anyways, I was there, and, and we were standing around talking about this church, God's church, talking about this awesome thing it is, talking about the hope that it is for us, for everyone. Yeah, everyone. It, it's so good. It, it gives me hope. Before I had joined the church, my Abba had been taken by them, the Romans, they, they said he hadn't been paying his taxes. And I don't know, it, it doesn't seem like anyone can keep up with what they demand from us. When they took him away, I, 
I didn't know what to do. I, I felt angry, so angry. My Ema and I, we did our best. We went to people who thought they could help us, and we offered them money, and they tried, but they couldn't do anything. I had this sinking feeling of hopelessness, of powerlessness, of feeling like no matter how hard I tried, no matter what I did, I couldn't make it better. All I wanted to do was figure it out. I wanted to get my Abba out of this awful prison, and I wanted to show my Ema that I could do it, so we could be back together, like we're supposed to be, but I couldn't. No matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, I felt ashamed of my lack of ability to get him back. I, I felt like I wasn't the man my Abba wanted me to be. And then it happened. Everything changed. Oh, it, how it changed. It, it, was, it was early in the morning, and I was on my way to work, and all of a sudden, this wind picked up. Uh, I could see the wind coming from down the street. It was whipping up the dust all around me, and, and it hit me like a wall, and it just about blew my kippa right off. It made me turn my back towards it to shield my face, and then, for some reason, I, I started walking towards it. Well, it turns out that a bunch of other people were doing the same thing, and I can't explain it, but a crowd of us basically blew in all around this house. It, it was the weirdest thing. The wind was blowing right into the windows and the doors. It was, it was noisy, too. It was rippling in my ears, and once I got close enough, I could hear voices coming from inside the house, but not normal voices. People were yelling and laughing and singing and rejoicing. I couldn't understand a word of it. They, they were talking in a different language, lots of languages. All of us gathered outside wanted to know what was going on inside, but none of us were brave enough to walk towards that doorway. I mean, really, the wind was blowing so strong that I think I would have got sucked up like a tornado had I got within 10 Lycas. And then, inexplicably, as fast as that wind started, it stopped. A dead calm. And this crowd of people burst out of the front door and we all started whispering to each other. And this old man next to me, he said, how can they be speaking all these languages? Clearly, they're just Aramaic-speaking Galileans. Someone else shouted, you guys need to put down your wine and go home. But I wasn't sure what to think. How were they speaking these languages? It, it didn't make sense, and no one could explain it. And, and then one of them at the door, they, he started shouting, and, and everyone quieted down. He talked about the prophecies and the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Nazarene and his miracles and his death and his resurrection and how he's the Messiah. And as he was talking, it, it was the strangest thing. As I believed what he was saying, I started to feel something 
that I'd never felt before. I, I still don't know quite how to describe it. But the best thing I can say is this knot that I had in my stomach from this hopelessness about my ABBA and the weight of shame pulling me down uh, from disappointing my Ema and the fire of anger that was burning towards the Romans for what they had done, it felt like it got lighter. And as he kept talking, it kept getting lighter and lighter until finally it left me entirely and floated away like the smoke from a candle that's blown out. And that's the moment I understood the truth of the whole thing. It was amazing, and it was happening to the people all around us. The man who had accused them of being drunk, I saw him fall to his knees, weeping. And this lady in front of me, she started hugging everyone around her, and there's this boy, he was running around through the crowd just saying over and over, yes, Jesus, yes. We all had this awakening to the truth of Jesus, to the freedom that he brings to our brokenness, to the perspective he gives to these awful situations in our lives. And it made sense to me that this Jesus guy, he's the Messiah we've been waiting for. That man standing outside the house, he, he told us that if we turn from our sins and turn towards God and are baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of our sins, then we would receive the Holy Spirit too. Well, I'll tell you what. I joined in that very moment. I wanted whatever they had. And I've been following them ever since. Uh, and it makes so much sense. The, the more I learn, the better it gets. It's, it's given me so much purpose. Now I know who I am, you know, who, who I really am. And I know that there's hope in all situations, even for my Abba in jail. And above all else, I know that I am loved by Jesus, by, by God. Oh, and, and that guy standing outside the house yelling at everyone, his name's Peter. He, he's great. He's a real character. Uh, Jesus even told him that he would build his church upon Peter, the rock. And look, it, it's happening. <laughs> That's how it started, it, at least for me. I started meeting together with all of these believers and we started growing this common bond. As we began to understand more and more about what it actually means to follow Jesus, you know, to, to be his church. It's hard to explain, but there's a special bond when we share, when we get together in Christ's name. It's, it's special and it's deep. And... Uh, you know, I mean, we still have our families, of course, but our church, it's kind of like a new family, a family where I know that no matter what happens, that they'll have my back. We are one heart and one mind. Now, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we still don't disagree on things. We, we do for sure, but the difference is that we don't let those things chip away at the foundation of who we are. 
we're able to stay united in purpose because we share the hope that Jesus gave us. Let me give you a little example. A little while ago, someone in our group decided they thought we needed to start responding to the religious teachers more directly. You know, when they chastise us at the temple. These people were saying that we should be more forceful in how we respond. Well, it's a pretty sensitive topic, as I'm sure you know. You know, on one hand, we want them to truly understand this hope we have so that they can experience it like we do. But on the other hand, when they threaten us and our families, it feels like, you know, we need to make sure to protect ourselves and, and take care of ourselves. So as we, dis- we started discussing this, it, it became clear that there were people in uh, two camps, that's, and that's when the apostles stepped in. They have the benefit of actually having lived alongside Jesus and heard his teachings firsthand. They explained that Jesus' teaching about standing up for his kingdom without compromise, but doing so without resorting to violence. So, as we talked about this and listened to each other and prayed together, it became clear what Jesus would want us to do in this case. And here's the neat part. After we reached this decision, there wasn't anyone who left or whispered behind our backs or even held a grudge. There was a clear humility and grace I saw from people on both sides of the issue. Our ability to be of one heart and mind meant exactly that, that As we work through these issues, as difficult and as complicated as they are, we're able to remain united in Jesus and his purpose for our church. Here's another example of the common bond we experience. When I'm on my way to spend time with these other believers, I'm not thinking about my own needs. It's totally the opposite. I'm thinking about the needs of those that I'll be with. And that's different, right? Like when I used to get together with the, the stonemason guild, it wasn't like that at all. We'd all show up and we were friendly enough, but it was clear that we were all there for our own purposes. We wanted to figure out better stonemason techniques, how to get paid more and how to get ahead of the guy next to us. But it doesn't work. Right? I'm an accomplished stonemason, and I used to have a little extra cash now and again, but it didn't solve anything. It seemed like the more I pushed for success, the emptier I found it to be. But our church isn't like that at all. It's this opportunity we have to get together, to be of one mind and purpose, to learn about Jesus' teachings, to put them into practice, to worship our maker and savior, to put others before ourselves. It's, it's so good. We know that no matter what happens, no matter who is in need, we know that we have each other and that God has us, right? We have each other. Like when Nathan lost his job and, and couldn't afford food for his family, we, we took turns bringing meals to them. Or when Naomi's son was so sick, we, we paid for the doctor visits. Or do you remember that time last month, there was that windstorm that blew through? 
while a bunch of us, we, we were going around checking on the widows in our church, and it was a good thing we did. Half of Leah's roof had blown right off, and we were, we were able to patch it up right then and there. When needs arise, there's no question of who's going to step up, and we're all ready to serve each other in whatever ways we can. We have such a sense of unity. We share whatever we have as needs arise and without any obligation or guilt or indebtedness. This is what true religion is, right? It means caring for those in need who are the least of us, caring for the orphans and the widows in, the, in their distress. Everyone, no matter how rich or poor, we all have things to offer, and, and we do. We, we share everything, skills, abilities, possessions. Ezekiel brings bread, and Caleb brings fish to our gatherings. Rebecca has been writing these poems of praise, and Ezra always tells the children stories of God's faithfulness. Now that we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, we understand things so much differently than before. Our perspective has shifted from prioritizing our own selfish ambitions to prioritizing the things of God's kingdom. You know what? It, it seems crazy to even tell you about these things because if I had heard about people acting this way, uh, I, I would have said they're crazy, but I can honestly say now that it makes so much sense now that I've started to understand Jesus' teachings. This selfless behavior is what giving is all about, right? Jesus said it himself, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's acknowledging that what I have isn't mine in the first place. It's a gift, of, it's a gift from God for me to steward to the best of my ability. It's, it's a way I have of saying that I trust God and his provision in my life. And I think it helps keep my pride in check. You know, God doesn't need my money and he could care less about how many denarii I give. I know he's able to accomplish his will with or without it, but it's a way I can respond in obedience with a generous heart to build his kingdom in tangible ways. Peter often shares this story Jesus told them about a woman who gave two coins. It was about her sacrifice in giving, the generosity of her heart, the posture of my heart is infinitely more important than any amount I could ever give. All the things I used to think were so important, now I see they're just noise. They're just distractions from this truth I now understand. People looking at us from the outside looking in, it, it doesn't make sense to them. It, it doesn't add up the values of our church. They don't conform to the world around us. It's foolishness until you see the light and begin to understand that this upside-down kingdom that Jesus was showing us. And then there's my Abba. I told you that when I was standing outside that house after hearing about the Messiah that I had this inexplicable feeling of peace about the situation. That was true, 
But it didn't magically fix it either. My Abba was still in prison, and my Ema was still lost without him. Well, as I got to know these other believers, and as I shared this situation with them, they listened. We prayed, and they joined me in my longing to be reunited with my Abba. In fact, Barnabas, he, he came up with this idea to sell off part of his land so that we could pay off my Abba's debt with the proceeds. Who does that? Like, like I said, the kingdom of God is upside down. It's, it's beyond human wisdom, and it's downright foolishness to the world. So he did exactly that. He, he brought the proceeds to the apostles and said it should be used for our church so that me and my Ema can be reu reunited with my Abba. And then, this morning, Ananias came up to us. He, he's part of it too, or at least we thought he was. Peter kind of stepped forward and approached as he, and I could tell he had something he wanted to say. We had heard that Ananias had sold part of his land so that he could give the money to our church too, just like Barnabas had done the day before. But the Holy Spirit impressed upon Peter something that the rest of us didn't know. So Peter looked Ananias straight in the eyes and he said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Before you said, uh, before you sold it, it was all yours, and after you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wished. So what got into you to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to, God, uh, you didn't lie to men, but to God. And that was the instant when Ananias' eyes went wide and he fell back, flat as a board. Oh, Ananias. Why? Why did you let Satan fill your heart? It reminds me about when the apostles teach us about Jesus being the good shepherd. They say that Jesus uh, is the, uh, say that the sheep that know his voice follow him. They recognize his voice. Jesus cares for his sheep. He, he uh, leads them and finds good pastures for them. He came to us so that we can have real and eternal life, so that we can have lives that are better than anything we could dream of. Jesus wasn't just thinking about life after death. He was talking about the, the lives we're living right now, right now today. And it's true, isn't it? Following Jesus gives our lives meaning and purpose. We get to live the reality that the very God who created the entire universe also cares for us so much that he allowed himself to be sacrificed on our behalf. <sighs> following Jesus isn't about following a bunch of rules. <laughs> it's about living lives in freedom. Freedom from the condemnation that our sin brings upon us and freedom from the lies that whisper, us, whisper to us, that tell us we're no good, that tell us we'll never be good enough and that we're failures. Yes, indeed. The eternal life that Jesus offers us is both here and now and for eternity to come. Praise be to God. And, and then, getting back to the shepherd, 
if a sheep wrestler jumps the fence to the sheep pen, you know he's up to no good. All he's going to do is steal and kill and destroy. And do you get it? Satan, the very essence of evil, he's the sheep wrestler. And when we open ourselves up to evil, we open ourselves up to the destruction and death that evil entails. It's a reminder for me that I need to live in the light to recognize God's voice, the good shepherd's voice, and flee from evil in every way. Oh, Ananias, why did you do this? <laughs> I mean, at face value, I, I know that money can tend to highlight my selfishness. I remember before joining this church that as soon as I had any money, I immediately thought about what I, what, what I could do with it and about how it would make me happy. I think Ananias' selfishness might have caused him to hold back some of his money. But the other side of it is pride, right? His pride made him want to appear generous. He was pretending that he was a selfless contributor to our church, when really it was just a pretense so that others would think better of him. I suppose this is human nature, isn't it? I mean, I want to come across as my best self, and I tend to hide the darker sides of myself, my, my pride and my greed and my selfishness. Or sometimes more subtle than that, I allow others to have the impression that I have it all together, when in fact, I don't. But why do I do this? Well, I want others to think the best of me, I want others to think I have it all together. I want others to look up to me, but that's human nature, my, my sin nature. But that's not what Jesus taught. I mean, who was Jesus the hardest on? Who did Jesus upset the most? The very people who thought they had it all together. The Pharisees. They looked like they had it all together, and Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, clean and white on the outside and dead and rotten on the inside. They wanted people to look up to them, to consider themselves more important because of their special connection to God. You know, if I'm totally honest, I see shreds of Ananias' lies in my own life, don't you think? I mean, I'm totally self-righteous at, time, at times. I, I see the beggars at the temple gates and, and I think, wow, I wonder what they did wrong to end up there. Oh, God, have mercy on me. Reveal to me when I judge others. I'm a hypocrite when I live in the pretense that I'm righteous and others are not. And just like Ananias, I'm selfish too. I feel entitled to my time after a hard day at work, and I feel entitled to my wages when I get paid, and I feel entitled to my stuff when I get home and I want to relax. God, teach me to understand these things as you see them. Teach me to see my life as an offering to you and to understand that all I am and all I have is yours.
what are the people going to say about Ananias? I mean, people who aren't part of our church. Are they going to see us all as the hypocrite that Ananias was? And what if this hypocrisy spreads to others in our gatherings? What would it do to the credibility of our church? Will people see this just as a big farce? Just a bunch of pretentious people with holier-than-thou attitudes who hold others up to higher expectations than we achieve ourselves? Will they see us as trying to remove a speck of sawdust from their eye when we have a plank in ours? We'd be no better than the teachers of religious law. Jesus, keep us from this pretense. Let us live according to the humility that you showed us. So, I wonder how Ananias ended up where he did. I mean, he seemed to fit in with the rest of us, but hypocrisy is like that, isn't it? I think, I think at its root, it's a result of our fear and our low self-esteem. Hypocrisy let Ananias avoid dealing with his own shortcomings by allowing us to think more highly of him, which then allowed him to think good, uh, better about himself. I think Ananias wanted to be loved and accepted, but that's what hypocrisy fools us with, doesn't it? It, it allows us to create this facade so that others will be attracted to us, that is, un until it doesn't and we're found out. Hypocrisy is just that. It's, it's a sense of self-righteousness coupled with a lack of humility. So, what could Ananias have done? What should I do when I struggle with hypocrisy? Well, I think it starts with cultivating humility and authenticity in my relationships by reminding myself that I am imperfect and that I make mistakes, and by extending grace to everyone who also doesn't have it together. It can remind us that the speck of dust that we thought in, we had in our eye is in fact just as big as the plank that we see in the other person's eye. That moment that I became a believer and joined the apostles didn't mean that all of a sudden I magically figured everything out, did it? Of course not. If anything, it gave me the perspective so that I can see my own shortcomings and my own brokenness. I mean, look at my life. I get angry when a centurion cuts, cuts me off. I swear when I make a mistake at work. I'm impatient with ignorant people. I can be bullheaded. I can be hard-hearted, and I'm lacking in compassion and I don't help poor people enough, I can be judgmental, rude, unforgiving, sarcastic, and at times I can be a downright miserable person. But you know what? Does that make me a hypocrite? No. Because I don't claim to have it all together. On the contrary, it shows me just all the more clearly how much I need Jesus to help me in my brokenness. So, I think this whole thing with Ananias reminds me why we're doing this church thing in the first place. 
Have you heard about what Jesus said about the church? Peter shares this teaching with us often. He, he says that Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am with you. Interesting, right? Jesus' intent for our church was for his followers to spend meaningful time together in his name. That's it. He, he didn't tell us what type of building we have to meet in or which day of the week we have to meet on. He, he just taught us to do things together, to, to worship God, to serve others, to share his good news, to pray together, to disciple one another, to confess our sins with one another, to experience the community and freedom and joy and true life that Jesus offers. And that's what we're doing, and it's so good. For me, church is my active participation in all of these things. And you know what? It's something I pursue. It's something I go after. I know. I've been there. At, at times, it's, it's not easy. At times, it feels like the easy thing to do is to let it slide. But you know what? It's, it's when I put effort into being the church. That's when I grow. And that's when I truly believe when we're reunited in heart and mind. It's, it's not magic. It ta it's taken a lot of intentionality and effort to get to where we are today. <laughs> and we're in this thing together, so let's do this together. I pray that each and every believer would choose to invest in this group of believers and that they, in turn, would experience the freedom and joy and true life that there is in being the church. And I can honestly say that it is such a rich experience. The more I invest into being the church, the more I get out of my experience in the church. And that's the challenge I've given myself, and I'm going to continue to do that. Hey, did, did I tell you what happened to my Abba after Barnabas provided that money? I got to tell you. Well, we prayed and fasted, and then we headed to the prison uh, with the funds in hand. Uh, I was nervous. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. These people, these were the people who unfairly took my Abba from me and my Ema. W would they accept the money or... Or would they just come up with some other excuse to demand more? Well, we were a block away from the prison when we saw this man getting kicked out from the prison. And at first we were too far away to see what was happening. But, but we started running. And, and then he started running towards us. And, and it was him. It was my Abba. They had let him go that, that very moment. And, and no one could explain it. He... He said even the guard couldn't explain it. He, he was confused as he ordered my Abba to leave. Praise be to God. He rescued my Abba. It was such a joyful reunion when we took him back to my Ema's house and she saw him. She had such tears of joy. And now the crazy part, we still have this money. We're thinking of getting a heated baptismal tank. Well... Thanks for letting me unpack this a little bit with you. This church thing, it's a wild ride. Last month, Peter healed that cripple outside of the temple. Boy, did that cause a commotion. 
And you know, there's, there's over 5,000 of us. Can you believe that? Jesus' church is growing like wildfire. It's, it's intense, though. The religious leaders are getting more and more upset with what's going on. I think they feel like their power is slipping through their fingers, and, and I think they're going to do whatever it takes to hold on to it. And did you hear about Saul? He's one of the worst of them. They were saying that he's been threatening the believers, trying to get them to leave the church, or worse. I sure hope God has a plan for all this. Hey, did you hear that? It's Sapphira. She's walking up the steps. Who's going to break the news to her? I got to go see this.